0: Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Yes, tonight, um, we've been sitting ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount all year. And um, a couple of weeks ago, we got up to the wonderful passage where Jesus says, so don't worry about your life. (laughs) Like that was the easiest piece of advice Jesus could give us. Um, And as, as we've been leading up, up to that passage and and I was knowing that we were going to be talking about that, I actually thought it was really important for us as a community to actually give voice to the reality of um, anxiety um, that exists within many of us and is also a challenge for um – thank you (laughs) – um, in our culture, like it's just very common in our culture and I think that over the years the church hasn't always done well in talking about mental illness um, and mental health. Um, often we've just not talked about it, perhaps we've spiritualized it and I just think it's really important to have the conversation um, in, in community and in church. So that's what we're going to be doing tonight. You're not going to leave, well maybe you actually will leave with 10 points for awesome living and if that's what you leave with with tonight, it will be a miracle. Um, (laughs) But miracles do happen and um, hopefully I think we just leave having like really listened well, paid attention to what is going on in each one of us and, you know, enjoyed the gift of vulnerability that some people in our community are going to give us. So, on the panel tonight we have the lovely Janet Come out, come and pick your, Jans. Jans, come and pick your chair. woo Now, everyone look under your, no, don't, it's not, um, it's not lucky door prize. Um, now, and Eileen, everyone, this is Eileen, come out the front. Some of you may know Eileen. Eileen and Justin, who was playing the drum for us tonight, have been a part of Central. Um, when, they lived down here in Wollongong for many years, and not many years, many months, one year, I like to just extend things, um, and and came to, and then they moved back up to Sydney, and um, it was sad for us and for them. But they come down to our morning service once a month, so they're still part of Central, so it's really good. And Eileen actually is a are you a registered psychologist now? Registered psychologist, and thought her voice was really important to have in the mix. And the third person of our panel isn't here at the moment and may come in late, and it, it's Michael Lear, and he texted me about. 10 to 4 and was like, I'm stuck in my sister's garage. So, <laughs> this is really good for like, you know, come and speak publicly about your own personal anxiety and then get stuck in a garage on the way to do it. So, <laughs> I don't know if you'll make it. The reason being, he uh, he's borrowed his sister's car but obviously can't get out of the garage. I don't know why. And, and his sister wasn't picking up the phone. So, um, we will leave an empty chair for Michael in case he shows up. <laughs> and I feel... I don't know. Anyway, we'll see how we go. So, it's just you, ladies. The female contingent. The female yeah. contingent. So, we got the microphones already. Oh, Janet, I might bring you over your own one okay. since you don't have to share. Oh, probably, I don't know. Yeah, we'll use it because Aaron might record this for uh, – but we, anyway.
1: <laughs> we don't <laughs> have –
0: like, anyway.
2: <laughs> I know, I, I
0: actually felt like it's the worst thing to do, isn't it, to ask people who have experience with anxiety to speak on a panel about yeah. said anxiety. It's was like anyone who was willing to do that is very brave. So, anyway, I just actually thought that maybe we, you guys could start by just sharing some of your story relating to mental health and...
2: Sure.
0: Um, <laughs>
3: Sure. So hi, I'm Eileen, um, if we haven't met. Um, so I guess my story, I have, a, I have a personal journey with anxiety as well, um, particularly sort of I guess in my late teens, a um, little bit in my early 20s, anxiety was a big part of my story. Um, but I'm thankful to say, like, mostly today, I would—I don't really think anxiety is a big part of my story anymore um, on a more personal level, but yeah, I, I do really have that uh, lived experience of how intense it can be. Um, and then kind of, I guess, coming out of that and my, my experience of growing up in the church um, and seeing the ways in which church can be really helpful for anxiety or you know, um, the community around that, but sometimes really unhelpful as well and sometimes just uninformed, I think. Um, And so that that was part of my passion to study psychology. Um, So I'm in my eighth year of full-time study. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Yeah, so um, that started my journey. And then, um, yeah, when I was – when we were living down here in Wollongong, that was the start of my postgraduate training when I started training clinically. Um, So for the past four years, my weeks sort of looked like a mixture of – uh, clinical work, seeing, working with clients therapeutically a couple of days a week, um, and, and doing my own research as well. So um, I'm a PhD student, and my research is on anxiety. Um, so specifically, I research uh, panic disorder when people are having really frequent panic attacks and um, really afraid of having future panic attacks. Um, but I also work within a team where we develop online courses that have really practical strategies to help um, people overcome different. Um, presentations as a way of sort of trying to increase access to good quality and evidence-based care. Yeah, so I guess that's the kind of angles that I can speak from today.
0: Pretty cool.
4: Uh, my experience is a lifetime. Um, so I um, didn't really know that I had anxiety until I was in my, probably in my 20s. Um, which really looked like depression first. Experienced quite significant depression for a number of years. And, but underlying that was a lot of, really I didn't, like that was back in the day when no one really talked about the anxiety. It's really good now because everyone talks about it and we've got a name for it. Um, you know, I grew up in an era where my, where I didn't sleep a lot as a kid. Um, couldn't sleep, didn't want to sleep for whatever reason, didn't know why. reasons why in the end I found out Um, so a lot of that then led to like sleep deprivation which leads to depression which then leads back to anxiety so it's kind of like a cycle Um, but I also um, studied at uni to be a nurse which then created a whole lot of other anxieties (laughs) Um, so mine's more of a general my personal experience and and diagnosis is probably like generalized anxiety so that where you just constantly have anxiety and everything you do is based from a ground of anxiety um and then um it wasn't really until I was how old am I now uh yep probably in the last decade well less than a decade I had actually experienced panic disorder as well where I had the full, you know, you hear people talk about the full symptoms of where your heart races and you think you're gonna die because you're having a heart attack. And it was in the middle of a meeting and I was sweating and I thought, oh, I actually am gonna die. And my arm was hurting on the left. Oh, that full blown panic disorder. So, um, but fortunately for me, I'd ha- been educated for about, through a really good psychologist. I had a great psychologist who helped me and also through my experiences at church and meeting people here, um, just my faith journey has really helped and talking to God a lot about it and whinging a lot to God. (laughs) (laughs) And he's through the scriptures and just through music and songs from church that's helped me learn a lot about anxiety and that's what we call it now, but it's actually worries. (laughs) (laughs) it, It can be, yeah, so I've had, that's my journey. It's more complicated than that but um yep.
0: very good it's different to worries though isn't it
4: Well, it can be it's i was just thinking about it again while we we're worshiping and it's like there's normal worries you know but this is overwhelming worries where you your brain actually doesn't stop It's, I, I actually diagnosed myself with a thing called a million thoughts a minute. seriously, that was what my brain was like. It was like, it never stopped. And there was times where I just thought, no, back, this was back in early days before I knew what was wrong with me. Not wrong with me, but what was going on. It was like, I'd be talking, but all of a sudden I'd realize, hmm, that's me. That's my voice because I wasn't actually in tune with my body. I wasn't breathing properly. I wasn't thinking about the lilies and the fields and like stopping and just being in the moment and that's another journey where I learned all about how to do all that stuff. Mm -hmm.
0: Yep. So, Janet, you've shared a little bit about what anxiety feels like or how it expresses itself Mm -hmm. in your body but is there anything else you would – want to share with us about how it kind of like presents itself? Uh, It can be where you're completely exhausted
4: because you've just burnt yourself out completely and you can't, you can't, like it's like you've run a marathon and, but you haven't, I'd love to run a marathon, but you haven't run a marathon and your muscles get really sore and tired and you can't work out why you're tired, but it's because your body's just been in that adrenaline or you know, every, does everyone know what fight or flight is? So your body's in that constant fu- um, fight between the fight or flight thing. So you, and you get dry mouth, you get headaches, um, can't, poor, really poor concentration, um, can't make decisions, um, everything, it's, it's all, it just comes in all kinds of Things like that's just a few. I've had pretty much everything, um, gut problems like diarrhoea, vomiting, um, <laughs> sweating <laughs> for unknown reason. Like you just start sweating. Um, like now I'm sweating. <laughs> um, but the difference between the anxiety that I feel now is that the one thing that I learned through lots of counselling and is that. Anxiety in your body is actually can be your friend because it's telling you you're overwhelmed and you have to slow down. Um, like, I was, like, not sleep. I didn't sleep. I slept for about three or four hours a night for a long time and I just get up and, no, clean or, I don't know, do anything that just distracted. And it just I just kept going all the time. So does, does that answer you? <laughs> like yeah, no, I think... It, it comes in funny. lots of... Things. Yeah, and then it came in that panic disorder to form like I just was not expecting that. Mm-hmm. I was like what is this, this is like the whole room was like you know me, it was terrible yeah so
0: yeah, yeah. what about you Eileen you I mean you see a lot of people so there's different mm-hmm. presentations I suppose and you do have some of your own story. Are there other things you would like share about what ang- how anxiety presents itself? Like, because there would be mild, like, well, I, I I don't even know what I'm talking about, but I presume there's like, <laughs> a, a different levels of anxiety, like it, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. I think what we know from the
3: research is that anxiety exists on a spectrum, mm-hmm. um, and it it can become more and less intense. Um, at different points in people's lives, but also between people. So, you know, some of us are just born with a more anxious temperament. So, even though I say, like, anxiety is not as big a much of my story now, I have a more anxious temperament. I'm conscientious, like, that's the, the positive side of that, you know, but I'm probably always going to be a little bit more, um, you know, sort of just in a little bit more ramped up than other people will be. Um, but, yeah, I think, so... I, I had a similar experience to Janet. That um, at, the, at the peak of my own anxiety, it probably did look more like depression. I remember going to the doctor thinking, "No, I'm depressed," um, because I was so depleted of energy that I just couldn't think straight. I couldn't, like, I couldn't make decisions. It felt like I couldn't get um, the, the words fully formed. I was so exhausted and so tired, and just didn't have energy for things that were important to me because I was so exhausted. Um, And that's really common. So anxiety and depression are more often they're not comorbid, so exist at the same time. And often the depression comes after the anxiety because people um, aren't able to do the things that they love to do. They might, if they're like more socially anxious, that might really um, cause separation between them and their loved ones, difficulty to connect, um, you know. And, of course, we're going to start to feel really low and self-esteem is going to... Start to tank if you're not able to connect with people. Um, I think probably something else that's maybe quite helpful to say in like a, a faith context is some we're often most anxious about the things that are really important to us. Um, in that, like if if you really value being a caring friend, you're more likely to get anxious about not that you've let somebody down. If that makes sense. So sometimes I think um, anxiety can also like, point, point to what our our strengths are, um, yes, yeah, so I, I, guess at the, at the most, um, uh, most intense level of that, like, in, uh, disorder like obsession, uh, OCD, uh, obsessive and compulsive disorders, like, people who are religious tend to have more religious themes to that, that's, that's what we know, so, if you're really concerned about being a moral person, um, or um being sort of say really sexually pure then that will really be what you don't want to violate that and and i think so that's sort of i guess at the more intense level but i think we can see that um in in lots of different ways in anxiety coming out is that that fear of not living up to what we'd hope or and that being sort of part of the distress sometimes so i think it can just be helpful to remember the reason this matters to me so much is it's what i value you know and and that, that that's a gift um yeah does that yeah, that's
0: you. Great. Yeah. I, w- One of the things I'd really love for us to have tonight in the next little while is, is to have like a conversation you know there's we're not a massive crowd I think it's really important that if any, anyone here wants to add something from their own experience or ask either one of these a question at any time just give your hand a wave and Luke will run around with the microphone but I'd really like us to have some interaction over this so that we all kind of like get to dive in a little bit deeper yeah. um, into this um, sort of thing. So, is, does anyone have a question at, at this point in time? Oh, wow,
1: let's go. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I was just uh, wondering whether you could clarify the um, the idea of situational anxiety as opposed to uh, <laughs> like a lifestyle anxiety where... You're anxious about life, like people can be anxious about driving a car or flying a plane, uh, and that can be that can be uh, spiders, you know. So, what's the difference, and what's the best way to overcome situational anxiety? I suppose. I remember I had some anxi- anxiety about uh, when I retired about driving a caravan. Driving <laughs> <laughs> car- a caravan. Yeah. See, I'm still anxious. No, no, not really. <laughs>
3: Yeah. So, so um, the, the question being, like, some the anxiety is really specific to one situation, and some of it's much more sort of it's sort of pervasive throughout life. Is that? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a good question. So, I guess, um, yeah, there can be lots of different focuses of anxiety, but what the kind of latest research is really drawing towards is that they all have similar processes um, and similar things involved, um, and so the. Therapy that has, that has been researched the most and has the strongest evidence um, for working with anxiety is cognitive behavioural therapy. And that really looks at the role that um, our physical symptoms play and so part of it is getting that under control, um, you know, getting ways to feel more in control with what Janet talked about, like that fight-flight response can be really intense. And also looking at the role of, of thoughts and behaviours um, in... In, that actually maintain our anxiety. So, sometimes the things we do to try and feel better, because um, they do make us feel better in the immediate short term, can unfortunately lead to longer term, um, make things worse over the longer term. So, for example, if you're afraid of driv- driving a caravan, or, um, you know, say, like, let's go with spiders, like because that's something most people can relate to. If you're really afraid of spiders, um, it's quite natural to want to avoid spiders, not go near spiders ever, and in the short term, running out of room every time you see a spider does bring the anxiety down. You're, you're, not, you're going to feel better in that moment. But unfortunately, it means that you never get the opportunity to find out what would have happened if you and the spider stayed in the same room. Right? You, just, you never know because you left the room every time. Um, so avoidance can play a really strong role in sort of making the fears even stronger because every time we leave the room, we don't get to find out what would have happened our belief that I, I would have definitely died from the spider gets stronger, right? Because we have no other evidence. Um. I've got the lived experience. <laughs> <laughs> if I was looking at Fred. I'll tell my story. Keep going. Because I, I know exactly what I've done this yeah. bit. Um, and, and sometimes sometimes um, avoidance can be more subtle and clinically we call that like safety behaviour. So it might be um, I'll be in a room with a spider but only if I'm wearing rubber gloves. Um, and so then we might say, well, the reason nothing bad happened when I was in the room with the spider was because I had my rubber gloves on and we attribute our safety and our coping to, to the rubber gloves instead of to the fact that probably the spider's actually not that interested in you and has other things to be doing, you know, or the fact that Maybe most like that we're able to cope with it better than we thought. So um, actually, like there's probably lots of different spiders that can bite you and, and won't kill you straight away. Um, so yeah, avoidance can play a really big role. So if it's a really specific thing, a really situational thing, a lot of what we often do is help people gradually face their fears um, in an empowering way. Um, so to gradually have experience with a spider. So that might be, first of all, that like looking at the spider. Um, before, like building up to being in a room with one, to help people have experiences where they can gather other information, right? Because you've you've only ever gathered the information that the spider is definitely scary. So we want to give you experiences where you can learn actually the spider um, didn't cro- like it went the opposite way to me. It was scared of me, you know. And the, um, so yeah, that that's often a really big part of therapy, I guess. When um, anxiety is a little bit more like p- pervasive, just that worry in every part of life. Um, sometimes that can be more looking at the style of thinking, as well as some behaviours that do play into it. So we, we know that um, from research that people who struggle more with worry tend to have certain beliefs about worry, like that um, worry isn't controllable is a big one. That worry actually helps them in some way, um, helps them be prepared, and often that at the same time that even though worry is helpful, it's also dangerous. And I've, I've got to stop worrying. I can't keep this is. I'm going to do something bad. Um, so then it might be working more from those kind of beliefs um, but yeah I guess most of the therapies in some way or another help tackle the physical symptoms and give strategies for, for feeling more in control of that um, and as well as looking at, at the thoughts that are playing a role and, and the behaviours yeah. that was a long answer, did I get anywhere close to what you were <laughs> yeah
4: um, Al when you were talking about being anxious to tow the caravan and you ask what the difference is between that and, and then po- possibly it developing into some kind of mental illness, long, chronic, chronic anxiety problem. The difference would be is that you would never face the caravan or you would constantly worry about going to drive the caravan. For me, it was the spider. Um, But what I found for me was that the underlying anxieties that were related to really a background of trauma developed into having anxieties about a spider in the room or driving the caravan, it becomes other things. And you don't, unless you go to the root of the real, like I had to have really intense counseling for many years, still do, (laughs) to get to the absolute root of the problem of why I, Like, I don't think I was born anxious, but I think definitely the the lifestyle I had with my own family made made me very fearful, or made me anxious and along with other things that happened. So you just, I guess the difference is that a normal worry about learning to drive a car, or I don't know, trying your first Something or the other Um, is—it's very very different. It is very different. I can tell the difference now that I'm more educated about myself. That I can get through the next time I try something new. But sometimes I get overwhelmed by anxiety that is connected to my past stuff. That then I have to go to God again and say, "Oh, jeez." that's overwhelming me, and I need to do more. I need to work on that. Or remember that. Like I try and liken it to now when I'm teaching the kids, because something like like Elkie is at the point of wanting to learn how to drive, and she doesn't want to do it for whatever reason. We can't work it out. She's like, "Oh no, it's all right. I'll just catch the bus." And um, <clears throat> and I'm trying to say to her, "Well, you remember when you learned how? Like you didn't know how to walk, but..." you learn how to walk. And we all encouraged you and we all told you how good you were. And so you learn how to walk and then you learn how to swim. And all those skills help build confidence in people. And so I tell myself, well, I can get through that next um, social event or whatever, because I got through the last one and it worked really good and you had a good time and you didn't stay in bed and and it was all good. Um, So there is a difference. But you still will experience the physical symptoms. I think of not wanting to drive the caravan. The same, the same as what, because your body is your body. Like your body tells you it's something new. It's you're facing something new, and so it's a challenge. And that's what our body's there for: is to help us get through life.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Can I? Yeah. I think. I think just to acknowledge that anxiety is a part of normal life like I I hope that everybody here feels some anxiety because otherwise you're not alive you know and it 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 serves a purpose as Janet was saying like it keeps us safe Uh, it it alerts us to when there's threat to when we might be in danger Um, so anxiety itself is not bad but also recognizing that some people are experiencing it at such a different level that it's really difficult to function day to day and just I think for for those of us who maybe have never experienced that or not experiencing that now just to, just to respect that we may not understand in that way or like you know I've I've had my own experience and I've worked with many clients but I always try and remember that like I don't understand what it feels like for that specific person like there's there is just a role to I guess listen and just um appreciate that we'll never like we'll never fully know always um yeah, but I. Um, so yeah, I think for just to recognise that for some people it really gets to the point where day to day stuff is is really hard. Um, I think the other thing that was just coming to mind that I wanted to say was that sometimes we're anxious because life's really stressful. And again, like anxiety can be a good thing; it can alert us to that. And sometimes it's about working with within ourselves. Like sometimes we are, we've become. Um, like our, our threat systems getting activated when there's not a threat. Um, but sometimes there is a threat and sometimes it's about like we need to get out of that situation. So um, when we work with children um, and then they're in a really chaotic family environment, you might give the, the child a few strategies but you might actually say actually that's not helpful. What we need to do is work with the parents because this isn't a safe environment and that child should be feeling anxious because this is really chaotic um and and what needs to happen here is we need to work within the system to make this a safer place for that child like does that make sense but I think also for adults like sometimes I you know um when I'll notice myself feeling more stressed sometimes it's because I'm I've I've, there's too many demands on me and I need to um set set some limits and, and work out what I can and can't do rather than um it, it it may not be as much my my thinking and behavior in that way. It may be about creating more space, um, finding
2: limits. Yeah. I kind of have like a two part question. Um, with I have a light bulb going off with anxiety because I've I've kind of struggled at times with depression, not not depression on a large scale, but like a couple of days depression. If that makes sense, like. Um, when I was younger, I could kind of get depressed for like almost a week. But now it's like I'll get depressed for like a day or two, maybe even only a day. So it's reduced a lot. But I'm as you guys are talking, I'm kind of bulbing like, oh, do I have anxiety before that comes? Like does depression, does anxiety and depression always connect? Or is it just sometimes? So that my first question is that the connection between anxiety and depression. Um, and then with anxiety, is it is it pretty much always like a control issue and can it come out in anger versus depression? Because sometimes I feel out of control. Sometimes I feel out of control and I think the lack of control of a situation, like let's say finances, right? I stress about finances a lot and I can get really overwhelmed and feel it's hopeless and kind of go down. But other times, if it's not like a financial thing, maybe it's something else that I feel out of control about, I can get I don't know, like, overwhelmed with it, and I'll just, and blow up a bit. And so I'm wondering, like, is that all connected to anxiety? Do you guys think? Yeah, that's my question. Uh, From what I
4: know from myself, but also from just learning about our brain and our body, is, yeah, it goes hand in hand, and that. Um, it's, it comes back to that fight or flight thing when you're feeling really attacked. Like, it's hard to explain. So like if you're trying to do your accounts and um, your brain's sending you messages all the time, like telling you stories. And so some of those stories might be about, Kev, is that your name? Sorry, Kev, Kev when he was a little boy. But you don't, sometimes if you've got anxiety, you don't really realise those stories are happening. Does that make sense? Like that your brain's, because your brain's full of these sending messages all the time. We're always, like even now, your brain's thinking, even though you're listening to me, you're actually probably thinking, oh, what time is it? Am I going to go to work today? Am I got to go to work got to cook dinner? There's all this other stuff going on in the background. So I'm trying to explain that when the eruption comes, the angry Kev, That, that's probably what's happening. You haven't taken the time to just let that adrenaline settle first. And that, that's what Eileen was saying. And that I just keep thinking to myself, you really need, need, when you're overwhelmed, when you're feeling like you've got a lot going on that you've got to make decisions about, all those little things that you were saying, you either go to the eruption or you'll go to the depression. Does that make sense? Yeah. Very, very yeah, well how do you stop that? Yeah. <laughs> Good. So it's yeah. like
2: I I don't know if I've ever really been aware that the thought life is going on so much yeah. that, that I just go into the yeah. places. So I started uh, to become yeah. aware aware. Yeah. But I didn't know it was anxiety. I didn't yeah. know what it was. Yeah. I just know that I have an issue. Wait, call looking at it. Look. <laughs> I have an issue yeah. yeah. I would do get down or I'd blow yeah. up and I'm trying to control the issue. Yeah. But the, like am I getting anxious about the issue? Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
4: you got to slow yourself down. Like I had, to, when I was starting to realise that I was, I was getting angry a lot for a long time and then I'd get really depressed a lot for a long time. So the, my psychologist helped me just start doing little things like um, what we now call mindfulness. So all these things have got a name now but anxiety is not, it's an, it's just a new word. Like it's like, so it's just don't get hung up on the word anxiety. It's like the million thoughts a minute is what I call it. Cause that's what I called it for a long time. So, um, one example that I'll give you is that. So he said, look, Janet, you're just not in, you're not letting your brain slow down enough. So you got to start practicing that. How can we help you practice that? So I would have to get in the car before I took off every time and say to myself, my bum's on the seat. I can feel the steering wheel and say it out loud because I wasn't being present I was you know at the shops down the aisle getting this you know the milk and the bread but I was actually still in the driveway before I even got out of the driveway so I had to just slow everything down and that's what that scripture is talking about in um do not worry and it talks about you know take note of the lilies of the field like actually take note of the steering wheel in the car next time you're in it. What colour is it? How does it feel in your hand? How does it, um, all of that, it's slowing those thoughts right down because we're always trying to get ahead of ourselves, and, and that's the anxiety that we're driven by and, um, it's really hard to do. It's not easy because We're in, we're always in a rush in this world. (laughs) We want to get to the next step. But um, I found the more I practiced that, and that was just you, it's retraining your brain. It's like doing, um, it's like learning how to ride a bike. Once you know how to ride a bike, you kind of don't ever forget how to ride a bike because it's muscle memory. And it's the same with slowing your brain down. You'll learn, um, so so it went from practicing in the car, my bum's on the seat, my, hand, my hand's on the steering wheel, there's the windscreen. Oh, there's the windscreen wipers. Oh, there's a leaf on the... Like it went from that to then practising it when I was at work because I'd get a lot of anxiety about going to work and I'd have to start... I'd get in the elevator. Oh, I'm in the elevator. Oh, there's that. And there's, just starting to... And I'd say it out loud and it sounds ridiculous, but it's a very common practice now to help people get a... Or you can just say it to yourself or you might just mouth it or you might um, just touch it. And we have this thing at where I worked, I worked with Jill and at our recent place that we worked at we go, oh just go touch the statue. And there's this statue out the front of the innovation campus and um, it meant pull yourself together because you're getting out of hand here, you're getting too anxious. And you'd stop, go and touch the statue, which meant you had to walk out, down two flights of stairs, out the front, in front of everybody that was eating their lunch and touch this enorm- enormous statue. But it made you stop and think about what you were doing and become more present. And that's what that scripture's talking about, becoming present in the presence of God and yourself and your brain and your, everything that's going on in your body. It's like a, it's, that's, I don't know if that explains it, but it, it's just its practice. And you're going to blow up. We do. That's what happens. We're not perfect, but you catch yourself. I don't know. I can talk to you more about it later. But.
0: <laughs> hey, Mick, do you want to share some of your journey with anxiety? Oh, get, you can pick up the yeah, yeah.
1: Just see if you're up here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a couple of thoughts around that stuff as well so I'll share that first while it's still fresh and I think my first um, thought was um, with that like question of like how do I stop it they're like fight or flight or blow up or depression or whatever um I I guess like my first thought was it's not really necessarily about stopping it because it's a very normal human physiological kind of response I think it's just more in some cases finding where to do it you know like there's nothing wrong with with like retreating a bit, maybe just make sure that you're not isolating yourself or there's nothing wrong with blowing up a bit, maybe just do it to a punching bag rather than a person or something. So um, so that was my first thought on that. it's just like giving space for what needs to come out to actually just come out. Um, but then... Um, lost my train of... Th- oh, yeah, with the um, the slowing down thing, yeah, I do really agree with that too. And um, I've found for me the, the best way to do it it's easier said than done but you need to be practicing those things even when you're doing well in order to establish a new baseline so that when things are really crazy um you're kind of at a better baseline um and I just had like a few like little techniques that I use like one for like grounding in the moment um is like you can just do like three, two, one, so like three things you can see, you just go like, all right, there's a light there, there's a clock there, Jade's there. And then like two things you can hear, and then one thing you can maybe smell. Just like do that, and then all of a sudden you're like in that moment. Um or like a breathing one, sometimes it's like four in, four breaths in, hold, six breaths out, then hold. If that's too much, just do like three and five or something. But anyway, just something practical. But I I was doing it then because I like got here late and I was like, oh god. And I got I gotta calm I gotta calm down. I'm like, oh there's a lot there. Yeah. So um yeah. But yeah, anyway. But yeah, I don't know, I'll just maybe quickly yes, um I don't know, I I, I feel like some of it's it's a bit of a mix of like personality. I think from a young no actually I'm only realising this now that since I was a kid I, I had quite extreme swings. I was either really happy or really like down. Um, and I have a very like um, active mind in terms of like analytical bit of OCD, and I think some of that might be like from my parents. I might have um, sort of got some of that from them, but some of that's just personality. But in terms of like anxiety and symptoms, I-, I think they were kind of brought to the surface more maybe with like. It's like that nature versus nurture thing. It's like your environment starts to define it and. I think later on when I had a lot of trauma, like family trauma and that sort of stuff, that's when I started to notice more of the physical symptoms. And it was almost like, yeah, kind of like my brain got wired into a really either flight or freeze um, mentality. And I think that's where a lot of my uh, – I carry, started to carry a lot of the trauma in, in my body and my physiological response started to become um, – yeah very nervous very unstable and and that kind of thing and so that's when I started to notice the symptoms around like um later teens and then I think throughout younger adult life um that just kept progressing and and developing and so it's only now that I look back and see how these things have, have worked together and um yeah is that is that enough
0: It's like paralysis mm-hmm. um, and apart from learning to become more mindful and in the present and baby steps with to help break it down and, and um, detachment, can you kind of talk a little bit more into the freeze aspect, when, particularly when it's been a pattern that, that occurs <coughs> where your body might slip straight very quickly into freezing or you know, sick or whatever um, before your mind gets a chance to catch on to mm. what's happening. Yeah,
3: sure. Um, so maybe just so we're all on the f- same page, um, the the fight or flight response is about the parasympathetic nervous system being kicked into gear. So when we sit, when we when there's threat, um, whether you know, like say, um, I guess from our ancestors, it might have been like a lion or something like that, a threat to our physical being. Um, Adrenaline is released in the body and that brings a whole cascade of changes where basically all the functions of the body either um, down-regulate or up-regulate to meet the needs of that immediate um, scenario. So that might be things like um, all of the uh, the blood that would normally pump kind of evenly through your body diverts to the um, major muscle groups so that to help you be able to run, but that can make you feel really nauseous um, because the energy is going away from there. Um, you start breathing faster so that you can um, pump more oxygen through your body again so that you can run faster. So that's that sort of preparing to fight. Um, that that's that response, um, that that fight or flight, like preparing to get out. Um sometimes people do talk about the idea that um, there can also be this sense, particularly if it's a situation that is inescapable of just freezing. Um, and sort of shutting down, and in a way, that, that can be a way that sometimes we escape mentally, even when we can't physically. Um, uh, particularly if people have had a lot of trauma, that can be um, a, a really effective coping strategy if you're in a chaotic environment for, for many years that you can't get out of, um, to be able to sort of freeze um, and, and a bit kind of detach emotionally in a situation that you can't control. Um, but you know when we then become adults um, or are in situations where we are more empowered that doesn't often serve us so well I think the other thing to remember is like this fight flight freeze response is really helpful for fighting bears and like Um, you know cavemen coming at you not so helpful for a lot of our modern day worries right like the last thing when you're trying to decide which job to pick is to feel nauseous that just doesn't help Um, (laughs) but it's there to serve an adaptive function anyway I'm getting sidetracked you asked me about freeze Um, so I I think what Michael said about um, there are a whole range of different things you can do to activate the parasympathetic nervous system, so the system that brings us slowly back down to baseline um, the the sympathetic nervous system where we're fighting we're flighting perhaps freezing we're responding to a threat and emergency the parasympathetic nervous system is about digesting resting healing it's kind of our like um our resting state so to bring it back down there's a whole bunch of different strategies you can use in the moment um, which i can talk about but it's also helpful to practice them regularly so things like controlled breathing or certain muscle exercises that you can do we really encourage people to do that like every day or twice a day to help just bring that baseline level of tension down so that if you imagine when you when threats come it's like if you have a um, a pot of boiling water and you're 90 percent full it doesn't take a lot to get tip over 100 but if you can start at 30 percent full it might give a bit more chance for that thinking to to kick in a little bit um, I guess what we what we also know is that um, that kind of calming work alone tends not to have a longer term I- impact. So it's like a really good place to start, and then it's often about doing more work, sort of about the the thinking patterns and the the beliefs we've picked up along the way, and perhaps the behaviours that are not helping as much, um, that can lead to that longer term change. So it's a it's a it's a bit of both, and sometimes it's about getting that. Um, your body under control enough that you can access the thoughts, you know, which is a longer-term journey and better done when you're not in that state. Um, yeah, so um, some, some ways of doing that, as these guys have talked about, the grounding. Um, some people find, yeah, the paced breathing, like four in, five out. Um, there's also different muscle relaxation you can do where you tense parts of your body, um, like you might start with your arms, tensing it so that then, like, the release um, action is stronger um there's also things like in a really heightened state um cold water like dipping your head into cold water triggers like a dive reflex we have in our body that actually um from when we perhaps were going underwater more or some people think um evolutionary from like seals and that sort of thing that we're diving um, it it, we start to breathe more slowly and that starts to relax it so that can be like that's super helpful for some people if they're really elevated to if you can't sort of dip your head in cold water then just a splash cold water on their face can um can be helpful so yeah there's those strategies in the moment and then there's the kind of I guess looking after yourself and trying to bring your baseline down more generally um and like exercise is really good for that as well um That's, like, something I'm trying to learn to do. I've been telling some people this week, I'm like, I joined the gym recently, (laughs) decided that, like, that's probably really good for my overall wellbeing um, to bring that, like, burn off some of the um, cortisol and adrenaline that's built up in your body.
0: Yeah. Can I... Just... I'll lean in. Um, (laughs) Thinking about the interplay between anxiety as you guys have experienced it and the spiritual life I think it would be just helpful to have a conversation about some of the things that have been really helpful and maybe even some of the things that haven't been because I feel like you know that like there are two things I often see sometimes and you, you might be able to explain this better Eileen but sometimes I read some things around psychology and I think oh that's what the Bible's been saying. And now modern science and psychology is kind of backing up some of this stuff that we have in Scripture, like, you know, take every thought captive and submit it to God. That's like, that's like mindfulness. But then I've also I've seen, you know, sometimes modern psychology and science kind of backing up the Bible, but I've also seen the Bible used as a weapon or it's been weaponized in ways that are unhelpful, like when we get that passage from Jesus where he says, well, don't worry about your life like to go up to someone who's struggling with anxiety and say to them well look it's just simple jesus says don't worry about your life like that that's like a weaponized use of scripture and so there are times i think where spirituality is really helpful and there are times i think that in corporate faith that spirituality has been unhelpful <laughs> and i think it's important we have this conversation uh, to just highlight it for all of us. Because whether or not we struggle with situational anxiety or states of anxiety, or just doing life with people who struggle, the more informed we are, and the more grace, I think that's really important. So I don't know what the question is, but um, maybe talking, maybe even like Janet and Michael, you guys being able to share how your faith and your spiritual practice has helped, or not helped at times. And then Eileen, maybe you might have some intersections of research and stuff like that. Does that sound right?
1: (laughs) Um, Maybe I'll start with not helpful. Just then it's like has like a positive side to it. (laughs) Um, um, Yeah, I'd say, I was thinking about this earlier and I think, um, yeah, one, some things that aren't helpful is theology that doesn't that isn't based or doesn't give space for the human experience um what's that like tripod thing you've got like the bible personal experience like life experience and then And and tradition and and i think a lot of the time yeah like something like the bible or like you know um yeah that kind of and like yeah, but like you know, life experience is is um, not given a lot of um, space, and so it's not really for me. It's not really a question of spirituality because I think spirituality is is everything. So when I say theology, I mean like not God himself. I mean like just people's ways that we just miss the point a lot. <laughs> but yeah, so like the theology that's 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 not based on incorporating the human experience enough, and I guess. For lack of a better term like over spiritualizing it and and weaponizing things and basically saying that like anxiety is like an attack from the enemy or you know just something like that which like I'm not denying that it that it could be and you know I think that stuff can be in there but I just think when it's just given as like oh like you've been feeling anxious like let's pray that out and you're like what about all the trauma I've had like mm-hmm. what about these things that I've seen these things that I've experienced like can we actually talk about what's real and what I've what I've lived through because, yeah, that's like, that's tangible and you can work through that. And I think Jesus can work with with you through that. And it's, just, it's that Jesus that that sits with you and holds your hand even when you're sinking rather than the one that's just trying to, like jab the devil all the time and stuff. So, yeah, I think that hasn't been helpful. Um, I can't really think of – I had another point, but I forget it. So, sorry. But um, – In terms of things that have been helpful, um, one of the things that came to mind was the Enneagram. Like, I don't know if a lot of people have... I think most of us here probably look at the Enneagram. Not specifically for anxiety, but I think, you know, it it is a spiritual practice, the Enneagram. And Richard Raw would say that you can't have that transformation without deep spiritual experience, you know. And so I think more so just becoming more aware of my personality's interaction with anxiety or how certain states parts of my temperament might either bring out or or make me feel anxious so it's just kind of like that permissioning of like oh maybe I'm feeling anxious because it's just a bit of my kind of temperament and that's okay and I can kind of work towards healing that Um, and I guess the flip side of the first one that I would say is that yeah theology and spirituality that really incorporates and gives space for that that human experience and I think for me when I think about things like calming or things like yoga or stuff like that, um, or even just exercise, just the fact that I'm just, like God is present with me in that and, and I'm present with God in that. And um, yeah, that's about all I can remember from my little note I wrote.
4: Um, one thing that's come to my mind that I've learned about recently is about, um, rhythm and, um, that, um, how important it is to have a rhythm. All of our life really is, is, contains rhythms. Like when we were in our mother's womb, we were next to her heartbeat. So we heard that sound. Can you hear that? But you heard your mother's heartbeat. That's what we that's what we were born with that was what we were born into a rhythm and then um so what I've learned through my the work that I was doing with Jill and some of those smart people that we worked with hey Jill (laughs) um is that it's really important for me to find the rhythms of my life that bring me back to that place of comfort and um you know really that back to my mother's womb where I felt safe so it's always coming back to a place of safety and ultimately for me Jesus and my relationship with God is that safe safe zone and finding a rhythm with him so whether it's through exercise or recently I've gone back and got back into swimming and like that's a rhythm because you're going up and down and and it really helps me just my body come back to calm and um, like sometimes I nearly fall asleep while I'm swimming. That's weird, I know, but like I can close my eyes and I, I, that doesn't happen often, but I'm I'm really excited by it because I found a rhythm. And then other things, you know, music obviously helps that. Like I, through a lot of my, um, time when I was super anxious and in and out of being anxious and blowing up and depressed and not being able to shower on a daily basis, I was in the worship team at church and without that, I wouldn't have got through, you know. So that rhythm of music and the the beats and the bass and and that would have helped you a lot too, I'd imagine Michael just... So for me, that's an example of um, my connection with myself and God um, in everyday life, um, finding a rhythm, you know, and that changes because we change so I'm not always probably gonna s- swim. Like for Fred, you know, he, he's gone through anxiety too. And cycling is another, it's a rhythm. Like you, it's a pattern and that helps us come back to that safe safe place. It's finding a safe place. Um, yep. That's one. Re-
3: is there any research stuff there? Sure, I'm actually gonna look at my notes because I've read a few things that I wanna. Um, uh, yeah there's a so there is actually some um like there's a really large body of literature actually now um around like mindfulness practice in particular um which comes from a buddhist tradition but has a lot of overlap with what we would in the christian tradition call centering prayer um learning to pay attention uh, to the present moment on purpose without judgment you know um and so that can you might use a mantra, um, you might use certain bodily movements, but just learning to to bring your attention back and not um, not sort of need to buy into every thought that runs through your mind, and just let some of them run through. Um, so it has a huge literature around it now. Um, it's really helpful for um, a whole bunch of things: depression, chronic pain, anxiety, well-being, creativity, like a whole bunch of things. Um, It does require a lot of practice though so it's um, don't be discouraged if you start and it's um, you know yeah it's something that you build into your rhythms and and you you build that practice. Um, Something else I would say is uh, I guess two things for like for for me personally that um, have been helpful is that um, there's some, like, research, I actually used to do some of this myself, about um, that people who are more anxious may interpret ambiguous situations as threatening. Um, so you're presented with an ambiguous situation and, and we used to ask people um, to sort of fill in the last few words of a sentence and they would um, fill it in with, with a more sort of threatening interpretation. Um, and so, like, the Bible's really ambiguous, you know, like so ambiguous, right? We're looking at this really complicated text, and so I've just been—that's been something I've thought about the last few years—is that um, just being aware of, like, of when I might be interpreting it with a lens of demand and of um, failure and heaviness, and asking, trying to say to myself when I encounter scripture, could I, could I just try and interpret that with a lens of God's invitation to freedom for me? Um, so I kind of think about it like you know the soundtrack to jaws like for some of us that's what's playing when we read the bible you know like doo-doo-doo. like and for other people they might have more like the soundtrack from that movie up you know at the beginning and it's like it's really yeah and so you can read the same passage and depending on the music playing in your mind you're going to interpret that differently so i've i've been trying to scriptures like that you know do not worry i've been trying to say like how could i see that as an invitation from a loving and good god who would only want the best for me and who is not disappointed in me you know and and just try and yeah see that invitation um also for me i um when i was sort of at peak anxiety i realized with the help of the psychologist i was seeing that For me, prayer was one of those safety behaviours I talked about earlier. Um, So, uh, you know, if if you've ever maybe, um, hopefully people can relate to this, had like sort of a a, a symptom or like a weird pain in your body you're not sure about and then you sort of Google to try and figure it out and that only makes you feel worse and then like... But sometimes, um, that I guess that's an example of reassurance seeking Um, and so sometimes uh, that kind of... I realized that I was praying out of franticness, um, and out of, uh, as, yeah, um, tell me if I'm not explaining this well. I'll just say it and then you can ask questions. Um, yeah, it was really more of a reassurance seeking thing and a safety behavior. And so for a time I had to lay down prayer or say, I'm going to have a, a morning prayer time and I'm going to bring my concerns to God in that time and then I'm going to go throughout my day and I'm not going to every time I feel anxious immediately going going to prayer because that was out of a, a frantic and stressed place and 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 then when it would go okay or when the bad thing wouldn't happen I'd think oh well that's because I prayed you know like and so I it wasn't helping me have um just kind of realise that sometimes the the bad things I was assuming were going to happen didn't happen as often as I thought or that I was able to cope with it better than I thought because I was kind of holding prayer as a crutch. Um, so I, that was difficult for me to feel okay about doing that but I think um, when I realised that it wasn't coming out of a place of relationship and that it was really coming out of a place of uh, freneticness, um, is that a word? I'm not sure, but um, yeah, so, so for a time it was really helpful to, to just lay that down um yeah that was good and I guess the last thing I'd want to say is um I really appreciate Caro that you are having this and that you, you've invited me to speak with my I guess sort of professional understanding as well because I really think the demarcation between spiritual and secular that's man-made yeah and like and let's just own that um, I think as, as a church globally we've been We've been a bit afraid with mental health. Um, we've been afraid of science, with mental health, and I just think let's let's not let fear have the run of the house, yeah. like let's let's be open to anything that is, um, participating in restoration and justice so I think anywhere we see restoration and healing and justice I think that's god i think that's the goodness of the kingdom and that includes science and I think let's just not not be afraid of that and I hope that as a church we can be inclusive of anybody who wants to partner in the redemption of the world um, whether that's quote unquote secular psychologists or counselors or um, you know neuroscientists or whether that's thats spiritual practices like let's have both. There's room for it all. Yes.
0: Yeah. I'm just mindful of, mindful of the time. Um, and I feel like we could have this conversation for a long time but I don't know who's desperate to see if the Raiders beat the... Well, I don't even know who's playing. Was he at the Roosters? I don't even know when it's on. And I'm just using that as a wrap-up point. Um, <laughs> but I think it would be... Um, well, okay, just I'm not a yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I think Eileen or Janet, could either one of you lead us in a something to finish, <laughs> like a, I just, like a, like a helpful tool, a practice, a mindfulness thing, an interpretive dance, uh, no, um, Janet, you've probably got a few, do you have a few? I just think that might be a really helpful way for us all to finish doing, get, like Michael's thing of three, three, two, one. These are really practical things. Three things you can see, two things you can hear, one thing you can smell. But I know there are other things, Janet. You've got a hand. Do you have your hand thing?
4: I do a hand jujitsu. <laughs>
0: um, it's a bit weird, but it works for me. I just think that might be helpful if we finish with something like that, that we can all practice. This morning in church, we did embodied spirituality and just that importance of bringing our bodies um, in conjunction with our hearts, our minds, our spirits into the presence of God and not dividing ourselves up so much, which I think sometimes is the practice of anxiety. We just want to let our head rule, or but but sometimes spirituality just wants to let the spirit rule. But I just think there's something about the holisticness of, of bringing our bodies and our hearts and our minds and our souls and all our strength to God and being fully present in order to encounter the presence of God in all of those things. I think that might be a really helpful way to finish. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah.
4: This takes a bit um, of time, it's, you can try, okay, we'll do it with one hand. Okay,
3: Uh, Go ahead. Okay. There's two <laughs> things,
4: there's two things that have helped me that I learned. Um, the first one is about, um, the, it's kind of like that fight or flight thing, but if your brain's like, your hand is like your brain, and this is like, your, you know, um, Eileen I'm was talking, talking about your parasympathetic nervous system. Actually, I'm not even going to say that. What I'm going to say is, I think. The most important thing we can do as a Christian, as a spiritual person, is know about our body and the science of it. That God actually created our body, all of the chemicals, all of the parts of our brain, all of the parts of our parasympathetic nervous system, and our, we've put names to them, but God designed it. And the more, and He's given us like psychologists and scientists and all those kind of people, really smart people, smarter, way smarter than me to learn about all of that stuff in our body and what makes it work. And when, and so for me, learning more about that helps me understand God's design of me and why I get anxious and breaking all that down. And that they're the small things that you can do to learn about, well, what is it that, what is the chemical that makes me feel anxious? Like, and when you learn that, you can talk to God about it and say, well, you made it, God. You made that chemical. How can I, How can you help me fix that? How can you help me? So I'm not afraid anymore of, which is what Michael's saying about being anxious, because it's really just God saying to me, "Hey, you got you're a bit out of balance there, and I've taught you that, you know, um, a man who fears the Lord avoids all extremes, and so therefore, you know, let's get your body back into balance." And your mind, and so that's an example of what I do. But what the hand thing is if you grab your hand, um, so just say your left hand and then this hand, and you grab your thumb and you squeeze your thumb and you need to, really you need to close your eyes, which all good meditations start with closing their eyes. Um, you can do this, the reason why I like this one is because you can actually do it in company with other people and they don't know you're doing it. So you don't have to call out three things or two things <laughs> or one thing. So you just squeeze your thumb. Give you a, and you can feel your thumb, right? Give it a little squeeze. And then you can... The practice is that you would do five slow breaths while you're squeezing it. But you will just do two for the sake of time. So take two breaths. And then as you... You need to look at me. As you change, you get, what you're going to do is you're not going to take your hand off your thumb... And then you're going to start to grab the second finger and let go of the thumb and grab the second thing, And you'll do the same thing again. Give it a good squeeze. Two breaths. And then you're going to do the same thing and hook onto your third finger and squeeze. This might not be the full paint and practice, but this is the way I do it. Um, squeeze again two breaths and you can do as many breaths as you've got time for and then again you're going to hook onto the fourth finger two breaths and then again to the your pinky finger And then when you change hands, you're not going to let go of your grip again. It's like keeping connected to your hand so that when you grab your other thumb, you're actually going to grab your other thumb and then you start with that hand. So you've never let go of your hand the whole time and then you go through that hand. And then what you can develop, what I do through that, because it's whenever you start these practices, it's always a bit weird, but I start to like... um, Say just start to say a meditation. Then when I'm squeezing my finger, and I'll say, um, you know, I'm letting go. Or you you find a something that very small, very short, and then you just say those things, and it starts to bring a calm. It brings you back to your safe place. You dr- you'll notice your body, your heart rate's dropping. Um, your mind it changes the chemicals in your body again, and off you it changes your parasymp. Your igni- your Initiating your parasympathetic nervous system, which is what you're doing every time you do a deep breath, actually. So when we find ourselves, you know, when you're in that bit of a and then you start and you go, your body's telling you it's an automatic response. It's amazing. Like, thanks be to God that we've got that automatic response to, to trigger that because it, it's, it's quite cool when you start reading about it. Like, you, this it, and your parasympathetic. Triggers all this part of your body, so that's why a lot of people end up with back pain because it's so all those muscles in here in your ribs, it's all connected to the nervous system, and and you're holding it and you're holding it, a lot of tension, which was my problem for a long time. Yeah.
0: No, it's this is brilliant, isn't it? Well, I would just like to pray to finish um, our time together. So. God, I just want to say thank you because I want to say thank you for Janet and for Eileen and for Michael for their wisdom, Lord Jesus, for their willingness to to bring themselves in vulnerability to us. I want to thank you for the way that you are working and have worked in their lives through the hard stuff and the beautiful stuff, and that you are doing good things and that tonight all their experiences now are bearing fruit in us and Jesus I just feel like this has been a beautiful moment as the sun has been streaming through the windows and it feels still in this building and we've been listening to experience and hearing some truth and Lord I'm just grateful for this time And I pray that you would bless Janet and Eileen and Michael this week with a special grace and your beautiful peace. And God, my prayer for us as a community here at Central is that we would um, continue to, to embody grace, patience and mercy to one another, that we would know the love you have for each one of us that we would drink deeply from that love and that it would overflow to one another that God we might be a community of grace and vulnerability that we would be brave enough to be able to face uh, the stuff we don't do so well as well as celebrate the things we do well so make us a beautiful family a community of faith who love one another deeply. And Lord, I just pray that as we go out from this building that each one of us would know that we are carrying your grace and your mercy and your justice as gifts for this world. Lord, may we bless those around us with your peace and your love and your goodness. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it, and I feel like these are conversations we need to keep having with one another. And um, if there's stuff that has sparked thoughts in you, or things you'd like to share, or more questions you'd like to ask these guys, they're they're around. And um, I think it's really good when we listen to one another and support one another. We learn and grow together. So thank you. It's been wonderful. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central.